Hello, and welcome to Doctor Who 50 Years Ago, the show that looks back to the stories that aired in 1973 and looks at the differences between then and now. I'm Ben. I'm Luke. And I'm Nick. And this time we're looking at the 50th anniversary of Carnival of Monsters. We're now going to go into the news of 1973. On the 27th of January, direct US involvement in the Vietnam War ends, and I put that in inverted commas, with the signing of the Paris Peace Accords. It also created a ceasefire between North and South Vietnam, which lasted just under a year, and 25,000 South Vietnamese were killed during that time. During February, a mine-sweeping operation by the US failed to find any mines that they'd laid in North Vietnam's harbours, and war continued in Laos, despite the US pulling out. So it's both the end and not the end to 10 years of conflict in Asia, which definitely defines the Cold War for this period and puts America, America's military might well and truly in doubt. Mm, I, I suppose you could uh, draw a comparison to the present day with uh, the accord that the Americans signed with the Taliban in Afghanistan, uh, sort of abandoning their allies there to say that they've won the war or, you know, they've ended the war. Two in between that I can think of is obviously after Vietnam, Russia decides to do Afghanistan, America decides to do Iraq, and now uh, we're up until the present day where um, Russia is trying to do Ukraine. So uh, there we are. Uh, The differences between 50 years ago and now are that superpowers trying their very best to exert their influence on all parts of the world through conflict don't necessarily have as much success as they expect to. Yeah, but this this episode is more concerned with domestic affairs. Uh, I think perhaps as we've been able to see that the Vietnam War was winding down, it was playing less on the British consciousness. We never really got fully involved. So if it's winding down, why do we need to keep thinking about it? It's very interesting to see how wars drag themselves into the public consciousness and then are replaced by whatever else is considered newsworthy. Um, That is definitely a thing that's happened 50 years ago and now. Moving on, because quite literally I'm moving it out of our media consciousness to look at different bits of news. From the beginning of February, new laws are debated as being unacceptable strange on British society, quote, People from East Africa are essentially being told not to come to Britain. Visitors who can take care of themselves for longer than the permitted six months may be allowed to stay and do so, say the government. With the Secretary of State for Employment saying that work permits can be issued for work needing a professional qualification and that when an overseas worker is needed and that there's nobody else domestically, i.e. in Britain, who can do it. And what we've got here is a new hierarchy over Britain's continuing decolonisation versus the new priorities of its recently joined European economic community and their work towards a single market and freedom of movement and that utopian ideal. The original draft of Carnival of Monsters didn't have the overthrowing of President Zarb subplot It was mostly just about import regulations and immigrant regulations as well. So I find it interesting that Robert Holmes, that was the place he started with. How are these people treated in law? And then everything else gets built on top of that. 
He has quite a disdain for grey bureaucracy, like middlemen, doesn't he? Grey bureaucratic middle managers um, that seem to make life a drudgery. See it in The Sunmakers as well, where he takes aim at the taxman. It's interesting that they are such a boring villain, but what makes them scary is the power they hold. So the fact that he's more attacking the systems than the people, it's very interesting that you look at the way that Louis Marx would write stories in comparison to that, where everyone's just constantly caught up in the gears of the system that they're forced into as well. To see two fairly different writers, Robert Holmes and Louis Marx, kind of attacking the societies for the same thing, shows that this must be somewhat on people's minds at the time period. It's, it's very interesting to see it from Robert Holmes, ex-policeman, who would therefore be a studier, or at the very least an understander of the law. By extension, he then becomes an applier of said law. Maybe became disillusioned by applying it so directly, and from that comes his um, protest through writing of people who follow the letter of the law, quite literally. Well, yeah, I was thinking, yeah, probably having worked as a police officer, he would know what it's like to work within a, a flawed system. It's like just doing your job uh, probably gives him a bit of an insight into the velvet uh, villains that he's made. You could almost call it the mechanisation of it as well, because if you li- literally are just doing your job, being a cog in a machine, then why isn't the machine doing it, and by extension causing a lot of redundant human workforce. If we're going to talk about the human workforce, obviously I think that the functionaries may be somewhat representing that then, and like just how not listened to at all they are, and completely misunderstood by the people in charge. Where the only term that we get it is the one that seems to show the tiniest bit of intelligence and seems to therefore demonstrate what are we doing? Why are we working in this pseudo spaceport and dragging out quite literally luggage from shuttles? Complains or maybe even asks for pay and gets shot down from his troubles, which is very much a, a, an us versus them mentality and government versus workers mentality, which we can definitely see throughout the 1970s and um, sequelizing itself yet again in the early 2020s. The UN reports that Shanghai, with 10.8 million residents, became the largest city in the world, beating Tokyo, New York, London and Moscow in 1971. An addendum point here, that in 1974, the world population reached 4 billion. At the time of recording, in 2022, the world population is now 8 billion. And so it's um, very keen to see um, human profligation across the planet in the ensuing 50 years between Carnival of Monsters and now. It's interesting how in part of this era of Doctor Who, everything is treated like a warning of soon everything's kind of going to go to hell unless we do something about it. And now we're living in the period of consequences where everything's going to hell. And we are still kind of seeing things being treated as we are warning you. I mean, I don't get too much of a sense of urgency from a lot of media being made nowadays. The fact that back then they can see where it's heading and are making a warning, and the fact that we are kind of in the same thing, it means that one must assume, like, it's very comforting to just think of a future as 
right now is kind of all right and it will be bad later as opposed to it's bad now and it was bad then the doom watch mentality and 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 by extension the the new scientist vogue that doctor who producer at the time barry letts was well and truly ensconced in and would begin to exert quite heavily or at least less subtly in later stories in this season particularly the green death so we've got the green death you know in this era doctor who um talking about ecological issues and um environment and then uh, as you say we're still in that phase of well if we carry on doing bad things things will go wrong with the planet like in terms of just recently we had um all from 55 where literally the show turns to the audience and kind of goes if you keep burning fossil fuels bad things happen okay yeah the words regarding the problem and the disasters if no action is taken are easily broadcastable and and, and listenable whereas the actual doing the actual actions the solutions and the talking about those and the agreeing of and then the implementation of are less broadcastable and obtainable both 50 years ago and now i would say that was the news And now we're going to look into the themes seen in Carnival of Monsters. The first one being Britishness, of which we have three subcategories. Bureaucracy, isolation and rebellion. I find it very telling that um, uh, the whole scene set on the planet of the dull officials is in this airport lounge, which basically puts in the mind's eye of people who been jetting out in the late 60s and early 70s just how awful it is to go into the arrival section of an airport and the bureaucracy are surrounding passports and entry um with the uh, largest point being entry and exit into australia with all their various environmental concerns about what you can and can't take into the uh, country and this is very much recognized as the entertainers try to bring in their miniscope i suppose if you're thinking about the Uh, airport experience in the 60s and 70s I wonder if as tourism starts to boom a bit more around this time and people are starting to go to foreign countries a lot more how that experience of direct foreign bureaucracy would be present in the British consciousness the Times was looking into people who were able to just go from country to country without a passport some people were able to just sort of slip through the cracks as some of the bureaucracy I remember I think it was somebody tried to get from France to England from the Times and was able to do so without a passport by just sort of asking nicely and showing a driver's license. So you would be both aware of the bureaucracy and very aware of the failings surrounding that bureaucracy. Again I'm gonna link it back to what we were discussing in the news there about Robert Holmes being against the way the law is so stringently applied, or at least seeming to voice his opposition in Carnival Monsters to this. On occasions, the letter of the law falls down completely, which only leads to a reactionary response by those in charge of the bureaucracy to tighten it up, unless they think of some utopianist ideal like freedom of movement across European countries. The difference between the grey bureaucrats and the people on board the ship The representation of Britishness 
seems so different. On the ship, we have Major Daly. He uses that Tommy gun, ah, just the thing. And he's always trying to have a brandy. And he is the representation of what I'm calling the just getting on with it British man. There's this sort of fantastical larger than life air to him. When Claire says, I'll bet half your stories about the East are just romances. There is this fantastical idea of him. And I would argue that they're kind of portrayed in a sympathetic way. Especially Claire, who is sort of seems to realise what's up as it goes on. If we compare that to the grey bureaucrats, who are very obviously more about the modern version of the British state, then we see them just being so boring. They, they can't handle the power that they are wielding. And so it's interesting that the British are portrayed first sort of fantastically, so you've got this ideal of Britishness with Major Daly, and then compare that to the reality of 1970s Britishness, which is stuffy bureaucrats sneering at each other and shouting, oh, you're probably crawling with germs! Yeah, that is a very distinct change between the obviously pastiche vision of the 1920s that Robert Holmes brings up in the ship of blustery Britishness, but with was still competent underneath. Then we go throughout into the 70s, whereby authority is challenged increasingly in the 50s and the 60s to just show bureaucracy as what it is, dull, grey, officiousness. And then we move on towards the 80s and 90s, where it's poked at as a figure of fun in things like Yes Minister. And then we get to just visceral hatred of it in 2022. Would you say that this approach to the 1920s, is this is this rose glasses? from him, or is this more of he's just using it as a nice little backdrop for the story? So I'm thinking also to, similarly what he wrote, would write later in the 70s, the Towns of Wang Chiang, where he shows quite a, maybe perhaps not broken view of the Victorian period, but certainly a heightened pastiche version of Victorian London. Do, do we think, as I say, it's more to do with creating a nice image, or is this him hankering back for pre-war times? that this is the image of 1920s Britain that he's choosing to use. And so whether or not he approves of it or if he thinks it's great, it's enough within the cultural consciousness at the time. It's interesting whether or not he is harking back to something or if he is just sort of using it as a generic stand-in, either of which I think come to the same conclusion of a fantastical British past compared to a modern scummy present. If those are the bureaucrats, then what of what seems to be the marked, even coloured contrast between the bureaucrats and the entertainers? They're given working class accents, officially considered working class accents, and they're dressed quite counter-culturally compared to the people they're aligned with. They're, they're charlatans, but they're a bit more open about what they're doing as opposed to the men in the grey suit. So you kind of root for them more against the dull people because at least they're interesting, even if they're also, as I say, just trying to earn a living. I'd say it links again to um, immigration and the whole point of that because, again, we're in this airport arrival set and the government is basically trialling these travelling folks and what they can do to benefit their planet and their government by seeing if they can entertain the working masses with their dull scope, but they take one look at them and go and distrust them, which 
one would argue is very British. I would also say that it's very British for the posho bureaucrats to look down on the working class people who are, I mean, at least I would say largely in this, portrayed sympathetically, mostly. The, but the acquisition you're right. of the miniscope for dubious means, the conning of various people, but obviously it's, it's painted in a light portrayal of <laughs> everything they do is okay compared to the awful authoritarianness of the bureaucrats. You can also paint it in a similar way to how Oliver Twist, the artful Dodger-type character hero, is, is lauded and deified by audiences as opposed to those who are in charge of the poor workhouses in Victorian England. It's the ordinary person getting one over on the state that's seeking to victimise them. That archetype of, we're a bit downtrodden right now, let's get one up on the scumbags who are just boring and trying to get one over on us. Yeah, that sounds like a fairly universal archetype, especially during times when, you know, you've got cost of living crisis. So I'll be interested to see if in the next couple of years in modern Britain, in 2022 and 2023, if we're going to get more of that sort of type as well reflected in media, or if we're going to get some people who are going to be more along the lines of slavishly devoted to the systems that they're in. People, I think must be looking for some sort of outlet to the fact that everything has kind of gone to hell in the past year. Doctor Who in itself has been partially an outlet, although with varying degrees of success for thinking examples like Oxygen in 2017, which is then um, completely contrasted with Kablam. Again, um, isolation was put on there. And again, it's a key point that the whole point of the, the carny folk to what, for use of a better term, the entertainers have been brought in by a con, understandably, but as a trial by President Zarb to see whether or not they can prove of value to the planet and, by extension, their economy. I'm thinking in terms of, as we saw in the news, how East African migrants from the decolonised African states were attempting to come to Britain to uh, make lives for themselves but the government saw it as purely terms of economic benefit and can you do this job if only if the British can't? And that certainly hasn't changed too much, despite going through the whole freedom of movement and migration of people throughout um, the European Economic Community, later the European Union, but then Britain leaving it, and the whole issue of Albanian and other migrants trying to come to Britain by any means necessary isolationism is portrayed as keeping things stale and how the functionaries are starting to essentially go mad the society is starting to break down because everyone's just sort of doing the same thing over and over and over again i can't quite figure out if that is a metaphor for the time loop how they keep doing the same thing on the ss Panisse because the way that ends is that they don't really learn anything they, they just sort of go to Bombay. So, was it a, supposed to be a metaphor or not? I'm not sure. There is this idea in this particular story, and in Robert Holmes' other stories, that you can't just keep doing the same thing forever. I mean, I guess you could say that Claire kind of realises what's up and does start to think this is wrong, but how it is exactly reflected in the time loop, I, I can't quite interrogate it. Yes, there's definitely a point there that 
the bureaucrats are stuck in their own ways and stuck in a very indefinite and degenerative status quo versus what what is seen as positive change in the form of the entertainers and bringing in entertainment and any form of improvements to the workers. But you also have the planned coup d'etat by the brother of President Zarb, which purely seen as change for his benefit, so he can be in charge of the planet. And that is portrayed as negative change, and he gets eaten for his troubles. We can now move on to the theme of entertainment with the subcategories of zoos and censorship. Now, obviously, the miniscope is portrayed as, as a zoo or some kind of peep show. Living specimens are miniaturised and put in their containers and made to run around and jump about for the entertainment of whoever's watching on them, which is obviously a very good pastiche of entertainment in British television of the current time, I suppose. No matter how gauche or how morally dubious it is, it's been put on the air and people are watching it in their droves, including stuff like Doctor Who, I suppose. But the show hasn't gotten that meta yet. We'll have to wait until Vengeance on Varos for that. Despite all of the moves against it, it does actually get shown. The censorship in this period, at least, on Doctor Who, as far as Mary Whitehouse is concerned, largely gets put down to a few shots here and there, which is an interesting one for Doctor Who particularly. But there was pamphlet produced by the National Council for Civil Liberties, says... The Britain is the country with the most censorship, and Mr. Tony Smythe, who was at one point General Secretary of the Council, says that obscenity laws have changed from a state of irritating muddle into a formidable array of draconian sanctions, and the repeals of these laws are more vital than before, but it's difficult in the present climate of opinion to envisage a legal change that would do anything but make a bad situation worse. Very interesting, if only because I'm pretty sure the black and white minstrel show was still going in the year 1974. But the Doctor in this is portrayed as a powerful, benevolent, kind of omnipotent outsider about how he was doing things to crack down on the miniscopes. The the, the argument is that he's cracking down on zoos, I assume. It's like zoos are bad. If the carnies are sort of said to be a stand-in for all entertainment then Robert Holmes is sort of also arguing to an extent for more regulation upon that. So one must see this to an extent as the answer to bad entertainment is sort of to ban it. And so that is something that is going on at the time. People are doing more legal cases and in law there's going to be more of a crackdown on entertainment we don't like or entertainment that the higher-ups would like to give to you. I'm thinking of, of reefian principles of you're going to be jolly well-informed, educated, and maybe entertained. And Do what you want, so long as it's within the bounds that we allow it. We're going to succeed in our mission to explain, as it were, except that mission is only accomplished in the George W. Bush terms, and instead you get entertainment for the lowest common denominator come in with newspapers like The Sun and the News of the World as owned by Rupert Murdoch in the 70s and then that slowly drifts into mainstream media with satellite television in the 80s and 90s and creates society as we see it today. That's the 50 year view of how entertainment, what's the word, evolves or devolves. 
and it feels even more relevant nowadays. Um, you know, like things like I'm a celebrity and just dreadful reality TV shows where we're essentially putting human beings as watching them, like gawking at them as though we're at a zoo on our respective mini scopes at home. Yeah, the, the criticism he's making here of the entertainment industry just feels even more relevant now than it did 50 years ago. But perhaps uh, Robert Holmes could kind of see the writing was on the wall where things were going. I, I find the the idea of human beings on the miniscopes kind of interesting because there's that one bit where Vorg turns up the aggression meter and, th- and then it becomes more interesting. Then you get running around, but he can't have it on for too long because otherwise they all start to kill each other. In the context of reality television, where they are going to be keep trying to pushing them to do more interesting things, and that will typically come in the form of treating them against each other, apart from on, like, you know, the Great British Bake Off. I kind of like the idea that Vorg is like, well, I can't have it on for too long, because otherwise they'll rip each other's heads off. The third theme, which is integration with the subcategory of dehumanisation. So there we've talked about the humans in the miniscope not being treated as such, rather as animals, but now we're just going to look at um, things like them being treated as subhuman and being played about by Vorg, just as the dull officials on their planet play about with the airport workers and dehumanise them. My favourite part of this episode is when the Doctor greets the chickens as though they're their own life form, and it is sort of treated like a joke, but as we go on in the episode, it's very clear that this is how you should treat other life forms. They may not look intelligent, you may not think they are, but you should approach them as they are. And so when I was talking earlier about how the Doctor is portraying this episode as a powerful, benevolent outsider, I would say in that situation, he is the moral compass. The moral compass as portrayed in this is, even if someone looks strange and that you think they might be probably crawling with germs, that you should still approach them with a bit of compassion and empathy and understanding. What I find so interesting is the way that foreign people, there's such an instinctive dislike of them. There is, it's not a rational thing. It's not portrayed as, oh yes, we've had a good old look at these foreigners and we've decided that for X and Y reason, we don't like them. It is a distinct, oh, they're dirty. Oh, they're weird. They must be evil and horrible. There's not this idea of logicking yourself into racism or other forms of discrimination. It is a simple, just instinctive response. So that's partly why we have the words like homophobia and transphobia, because it's not a rational thing. word phobia is used just because it's just this instinctive emotional reaction just like a phobia is it's not rational fear of the unknown Mm. uh, i'd say uh, that's one of the fundamental fears that we instinctually have it's a fear of the unknown but uh, essentially if you don't understand people of other cultures uh, of other places of completely different lifestyles from you you might find it scary if you have no idea about it and don't understand it and can't fathom it. If you can't have any empathy towards them, you might well find them scary, especially if you hear stories that they're trying to come here, take your job, steal your way of life, you know, that sort of thing. 
Mm. You can see how people and might it, end up becoming scared. Yeah, depending on how the media outlets portray it, it, it does, regrettably, that, that form of showing the change curve to people does, in some cases, trigger the flight or fight response with an unfortunate tendency towards the latter because ultimately Homo sapiens evolved from Neanderthals with their aggressive tendencies. But, but I, I think with respect to this being made in 1970, it's quite good to be aware to, to really illustrate the point of the, the racism or at least the xenophobia in that the immigration debate ongoing is to show... I think the serials, they refer to, the, to humans as Tellurians, right? Yeah, yeah. It, it's quite it's quite good from the audience perspective. As someone who might never have thought about, or maybe is there a reason why I, I'm a bit un, dis, like distrustful of foreigners or something? And then you watch that and you go, well, hang on, I, I'm a Tellurian. Why why are they being so nasty about us? It, it forces us to actually have empathy with immigrants essentially because it's putting the audience in an immigrant's shoes or someone who's a minority coming to another country and it puts someone who's in the majority into the minority shoe, which I think is quite effectively. So that's interesting if we look at Nigel Farage as a modern-day sort of counterpoint to this. In his campaigning, he would focus on stuff like the NHS and pints and their coming here. So there is that very obvious separation of who those people are and who we are. And so by calling them Tellurians in this, it's not an us and them thing. Us and them are kind of just the same things. And it is very easy to reinforce that emotional idea of us versus them, to try and reinforce that emotional response compared to trying to interrogate and break down that emotional response is a very good aim of this episode, yes. And so that's us looking at the three themes we've identified of Britishness, entertainment and immigration in Carnival of Monsters, which on the surface seems like a good carnies versus evil officiousness. But as we've developed there, we've got good change, bad change and status quo. We've got the forms of entertainment in terms of zoos and censorship with the miniscope, the immigration and dehumanisation of humans or Tellurians of the carnival folk, and, to some extent, of the bureaucrats. And all this swimmed up in a nice Doctor Who story which runs around on the ship and people get chased by trashigs. That's what I'm after Doctor Who for. Big ideas, stupid visuals. On a low budget in the 1970s with key ideals from Barry Letts. And it's nice to hope that we get the similar things in new episodes of Doctor Who 50 years hence. Thank you very much for listening. You can find us on Blogspot, which redirects the audio version of this episode on iTunes. Leave positive comments there, it helps. If you've watched the slideshow version on YouTube, you can like, comment and subscribe. We're available on Facebook also. We shall be back next time with Frontier in Space. Until then, I've been Ben. I've been Luke. And I've been Nick. Thank you, and goodbye.